0: Grab your Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 4 as we continue our series in the Gospel of Luke together. So last week we saw Jesus in the synagogue on the Sabbath in his hometown, Nazareth, And he preached from these words in Isaiah 61. Jesus read them from the scroll. He said, "...the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor." Then he handed the scroll back to the attendant, and he sat down and he said, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He is that promised anointed one. The Spirit had come upon Jesus and anointed him to be a preacher and a liberator and a healer. And now this morning, Luke will give us a glimpse into uh, 24 Hours. Uh, A day in the life of Jesus. And this time, we'll see Jesus in the synagogue on the Sabbath in Capernaum. But this time, he won't just preach what Isaiah prophesied about him. He will practice it. In today's passage, as we're about to hear it, he will preach, and he will liberate, and he will heal. So, brothers and sisters, stand with me. The word of the Lord has come to us this morning, and so let's listen to what he has to say to us as we hear, hear the word of the Lord in Luke chapter 4, verses 31 to 44. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. Reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf, and he stood over her, and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God! But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Father, would you uh, enable us by your spirit to hear the authoritative word of Jesus? And would you uh, allow that word to change us, to set us free, to, to heal us? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Now, many of you know um, that, as <laughs> many of you have witnessed, that for the last two and a half years, I have had a, a chronic cough. Um, and um, I have thought about taking stock in cough drops, because I have had so many, and they have helped me so much. But I've had this exhausting cough and shortness of breath. Um, and it's been pretty discouraging, honestly, because uh, no one seemed to know how to help, doctor after doctor, trying to figure out what's going on. Um, and honestly, I, I, I'm a mess. My body's a mess. I feel like a mess. And it's all been a mystery, But last summer, my daughter, Abby, um, who has a a primary immune deficiency, um, started seeing the chief of allergy and immunology at Duke University Hospital. And while she was there last summer giving her family history, she mentioned me, I also have a primary immune deficiency, and she mentioned that the doctors last summer uh, thought that I had this lung disease called sarcoidosis and she mentioned this to this doctor and uh dr lugar said no i i I think it's something else tell him to come see me so i called right away got a uh, a referral and uh in january on january 3rd we traveled to duke and saw dr lugar and uh They took a lot of my blood, because I don't give blood. They have to take it. Um, They took a lot of my blood. They had my CT scans from here. And um, Dr. Lagarde has determined that she's pretty certain. There's one more test that needs to be done, but she's pretty certain that I have what's called GLILD, granulomatous lymphocytic interstitial lung disease. We'll just call it GLILD. and apparently about 20 to 30% of the people with my particular primi- primary immune deficiency get, also get this disease called glil. And so they have a treatment plan ready to go. Uh, it'll involve, uh, on one side, um, boosting my immune system, so I'll have IVIG replacement therapy. Um, I'll get plasma infusions about once a month. And then about two years of... Taking two different drugs, one is a pill, and the other one will be more infusions. Uh, They're drugs that are used for autoimmune disorders. Um, But before I get started, I have to go back to Duke and get a bronchoscopy so they can get some tissue samples. So why why do I tell you all that this morning? Well, I tell you that because I came away from that appointment happy. I came away from that appointment encouraged and hopeful and ready to get started on this plan. Listen, for a guy who hates needles, to be excited about getting them stuck in my arm monthly, it's, it's a strange thing. So something's going on here. And that hope comes because finally someone with authority gave me a word of good news. Um... Remember, this is the chief, Dr. Lugar, she's the chief of allergy and immunology at Duke University Hospital. Abby's immunologist in Charlotte says that Duke is the Mecca of immunology. So these people have authority. They know what they're dealing with. She's a leading authority on my particular primary immune deficiency and on this rare disease that comes with it, GLILD. She knows what the problem is, and she knows what to do about it, and that's good news to me. And her authoritative words about my condition, uh, as she started talking about others who have been helped by the treatment, it just opened windows of hope for me. Um, I can see that she and her team know how to bring healing to people in my condition, how to set them free from suffering. But she has an unusual way uh, that she's going to bring healing to my body. On one hand, she's going to build my immune system uh, by infusing uh, other people's blood plasma into me. And on the other hand, she's going to tear my immune system down with these other two drugs. I don't understand it, but I, I trust that she knows what she's doing. It's a mystery to me. And so then in the next year or so when I'm feeling so much better and I can breathe again without coughing (coughs) and I can walk up a flight of stairs without coughing, you better watch out because I'm going to be talking about Dr. Patricia Lugar and her nurse practitioner Kathy Prince and how amazing they are (laughs) because they're the ones who had the authority to tell me good news. The best one to testify about the healer is one who's been healed, and that's going to be me. When Jesus came and he preached Isaiah 61, and then this morning as he practices Isaiah 61, he came to God's people who were a mess, who were suffering for many, 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 many years and centuries and millennia under the curse of the fall. Um, hopeless, helpless people. And uh, what we're going to see this morning in Luke 4 is that we're going to see those four things. We're going to see the authoritative words of Jesus. We're going to see Jesus' open windows of hope. We're going to see... His unusual way of restoring them. And we're going to see what it means to be a better witness, uh, the best kind of witness to listen to. So, authoritative words, open windows, an unusual way and a better witness. Let's dive in, shall we? The authoritative words of Jesus. Luke says, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath, And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Um, What kind of authority did the word of Jesus possess? Listen, this is the one whom John called the word in the flesh and said that all things were made through him. This is the one whom Paul said, uh, by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Here's the authority part. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Hebrews 1 says that in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son through whom he created the world and Jesus who upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's the one who taught in the synagogue that morning. Genesis tells us that God created all things, things we can and can't see just by speaking the word. Over and over again in Genesis 1, it says, and God said, and there was, and it was good. God spoke with authority, and he made everything good. Um, and that God sent his son Jesus, the word, in human flesh to speak to us. So Jesus, who created everything with his words and upholds the universe by the word of his power, was in that synagogue on that Sabbath day teaching those people. Bet you wish he was here today teaching them, don't you? Well, his word is here. What, what must it have been like to hear the voice of the Creator. What must it have been like to hear the voice of Yahweh sending sound waves over the vocal cords of Jesus into the ears of those people that day? What must that have been like? No wonder they were astonished. The word means that they were struck out of their senses In our vernacular today, we would say their minds were blown. The same authority that spoke everything into existence and called it good came out of the mouth of Jesus that day. Now, we tend to think that authority is a bad thing, and we're suspicious of authority, and we we're all honest, we buck against it, don't we? But this good and gracious, holy and happy authority struck a chord of astonishment in the hearts of these people that day. And at least in that moment, they didn't buck against it. And we learn in verse 42 that the next morning, the people were drawn to Jesus and and even tried to keep him from leaving them. That's that's how much this authoritative word uh, struck a chord in them. Now, friends, I want to stop here. And, and what, I'm, what I'm about to ask us, and I ask myself as well, what I'm about to ask, I don't ask in order to put a guilt trip on you. I simply ask as more of a diagnostic question, a question to help us look at where our hearts are right now, And a question that will hopefully fan a flame that might be close to flickering out. I wonder, how has your heart been responding to God's word when you hear it or read it these days? Does it astonish you anymore? Does it blow your mind? Does it draw you to Jesus and want you to hold on to him so tight and not let him get away? If it does, then praise God for that because it's a miracle. But That's, that's what I want. That's what I want God's word to do in my heart. And listen, and if it doesn't, if, you're, if you say, I don't remember the last time I was astonished at the word of God, then, then talk to him about it. Ask him to fan the flame before it goes out. Talk to the one who knit you together in in your mother's womb, who knows the deepest crevices of your heart, the one who can get his living and active word all the way, the Bible says, into your bone marrow. Talk to him and say, oh God, I want to hear your word. I want to hear the good and gracious authority of the one who made me speak to me, Jesus, please. I think that's a prayer he would love to answer, yes. Because you see, friends, Jesus is the authority who knows the world's condition. He knows your condition. And he alone has the authority to do something about it. He's come, he's here, Luke is telling us. And his authoritative words are good news to all of us who suffer under the captivity of sin and Satan and suffering and death. Now, as we continue... we're going to see that Jesus casts out demons and cures diseases, and he uses his words. We're going to see that his kingdom words open kingdom windows so that people would see, well, this is what the kingdom looks like when it comes. This is what it looks like when the king arrives on the scene. I was trying to think about how to illustrate this, but imagine, imagine a A dark, damp basement in the bottom of an old, old house. Um, There's a musty smell of mold in the basement. There's a foul smell of rotting critter carcasses. Um, It's wet and slimy. Slugs and bugs are crawling everywhere. Cobwebs in every corner. Everybody wants to go there, right? <laughs> of course not. But what if you were born and raised in that basement? And it's all you knew. Your eyes might adjust to the darkness. Your skin might not recoil at the slimy, moist things. Your nose could even get used to the foul smells. But what if somebody came from the outside? and threw open the windows that are in that basement that you didn't know were there. Oh, my. You would discover that the damp, dark death you've been living in was not what you were made for. There's another way and another place to live. And now that the windows are open, you have hope that you can live there. That's what Jesus does with his words in the next parts of this passage. Jesus opens windows of hope. He opens three windows, and I'm calling these windows demons, disease, and the day on which he performed these miracles. Each of these are going to confirm to us that Jesus is the one promised in Isaiah 61. Uh, The one who would liberate the oppressed, heal the diseased, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So let's look at each of these windows for a few minutes. Window number one, the demons. Look at verse 33. In the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there for that? Jesus rebuked him saying, be silent, come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? <laughs> there it is again. What is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. The authoritative words of Jesus that he had been preaching that morning about the coming of God's kingdom, um, the demons were responding to that. They couldn't help but respond to that because the king is here, the king is talking about his kingdom, and they know what this means. It means their reign of terror is over and their judgment is imminent. Um, Were you a weird kid like me? Did you ever put salt on slugs? Anybody put salt on slugs? And when you do, uh, they squirm and they shrivel. And um, the good news from Jesus about his kingdom is like salt on Satan's minions it makes them squirm and they hate it and so jesus rebukes the demon he says be silent in verse 35 and then later uh the next uh later that night in verse 41 uh demons came out of many crying you are the son of god but he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak now i wondered as i thought about this what is the significance of of Jesus silencing these demons, one of the significances um, I discovered was, was this. Think about this. Adam in the Garden of Eden and a talking slug, a talking serpent, and Adam just let him talk. He just let him talk. And he let him talk. Adam was silent. Jesus comes now as the last Adam to do what the first Adam should have done. Shut the devil up and get him out of there. That's what Jesus, the last Adam, came to do. And he's doing it right here on this day in Capernaum. Luke is showing us that Jesus has his heel on the neck of evil. And evil is squirming and gasping for its last breath. Jesus has come to set captives free from bondage to sin and the tyranny of the devil. These exorcisms are windows into what Jesus will do for all who will receive what he's done in their place. Window number two, diseases. Verse 38 And Jesus arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. This is Simon Peter. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Did you notice how he healed Simon's mother-in-law? He stood over her like one who is in charge, like one who has authority over her entire body and life because he does. And he rebuked the fever, and it left her. It's the same word for rebuke that Luke used about the demons before and after this healing. This particular sickness, though not all of them, but this particular sickness was caused by satanic evil and just as jesus rebuked the demons and they left their captives so he rebuked this fever and it left this woman's body so in this healing jesus gives us a window into why he has come he's come to reverse the curse of death brought about by adam's silence The curse which led to death and decay and disease for every human since that day in the garden. Later that evening after sunset, when the Sabbath was over and folks could move about freely, Luke says, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. I love that. I love that. He could have just waved his hand over the whole crowd and they would have all been healed. Certainly, he has the authority to do that. But no, he touched each and every one that he healed. Friends, this is a window of hope to all who suffer. One day, the one promised in Isaiah 61, the last Adam, will come to each one of his own people and with a word he will send away all the suffering that the, servant, the serpent brought with him when he slithered into the hearts of humanity in the Garden of Eden. But until that day comes, we know now that by his wounds on the cross, he's healed our sin-sick hearts. By his resurrection, he's raised us to new life with him. And by his spirit, we're restored to serve him and our neighbor. So, that's windows one and two. But what Jesus did with demons and diseases um, opens hope for, opens windows of hope for us. But here's, here's another interesting thing. The day on which he did these things is another window of hope. Window number three, the day. It was the Sabbath. Now, Remember, in Isaiah 61, Isaiah 61 promised that Jesus had come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Well, that's what the Old Testament calls the year of jubilee. So the people of Israel were supposed to, on the seventh year, let the land rest and have a Sabbath year. Well, after seven cycles of that, on the 50th year, the seventh S- Sabbath year, it was to be the year of jubilee, when slaves were set free and da- debts were canceled, and there was a, a, refreshing, a refreshing, refreshing restart. That's the year of the Lord's favor, and so it's significant that Jesus is doing these things On a Sabbath day, which represents that seventh Sabbath year. Um, One uh, commentator, uh, Benjamin Glad, said this. He said, at the fall, God granted Satan a foothold over the cosmos. But now, here in Luke 4, now Jesus is the ruler of the cosmos, and Jesus is beginning to realign it under the reign of God, bringing all of creation into a Sabbath rest. So the significance of the day that Jesus did these things is a window of hope into the forever Sabbath rest that awaits us in the new heavens, in the new earth. Now, authoritative words, open windows in an unusual way. What Luke doesn't tell us in these verses, but will tell us at the end of his book, is the unusual way that Jesus has come to be our liberator and healer in our Sabbath rest. Listen to what Luke will say in chapter 22 about this Jesus who silenced demons in chapter 4. Luke 22. Then Satan, this is at the, uh, the Last Supper, or just before it. Then Satan entered into Judas, called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray Jesus to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. And this Judas sat at supper with Jesus. And Jesus didn't rebuke Satan and tell him to come out of Judas. So then, later that night, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the chief priests and officers and, and their, um, their temple guards come to get him, and Judas uh, comes to kiss him, to betray him, to signify here he is. Listen to Luke twenty-two fifty-three. 53, that Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay a hand on me. Listen, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. How strange is it that the one who silenced Satan and his demons with a word now allows Satan to speak lies and accusations that would lead to his crucifixion. This time, Jesus remained silent and didn't speak to Satan. His silence was his unusual way of silencing Satan's lies and accusations toward us forever. And then Luke will tell us how the one who once in Simon Peter's house stood in authority over a suffering body and with a word rebuked her fever. Luke is going to tell us that that one now became a suffering body for us. Luke will tell us that Jesus suffered anxiety that made him sweat drops of blood. He suffered beatings and mocking. He suffered the crushing weight of carrying his own cross. He suffered the nails that fastened his body to the cross. He suffered the shame of a humiliating, painful execution and death. What an unusual way to liberate and heal us. The one who could rebuke suffering and make it go go away, instead in our place, took upon himself the rebuke of suffering and the word of judgment that we deserve. Look at Jesus, everybody. Just look at him. He did what we could never do for ourselves. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Look at Jesus. It's a mystery. But oh, what a mercy. What a mercy. And then finally, um, we see in these verses uh, that Jesus is looking for a better witness to who he is. So what? What now? What are we to be between the liberty we have now in Christ and the liberty we will have when he comes again? What are we to be between the real healing we already have and the full and final healing that's not yet come? Between the Sabbath rest that we have in Jesus and the rest that awaits us in the new heavens and the new earth. What are we to be and do in the meantime? It's always puzzled me. That Jesus silenced the demons and wouldn't let them speak. After all, they were saying true things about him. They were saying things about him that he wanted people to know, right? He's the Holy One, he's the Son of God, he's the Christ. But here's the thing <laughs> Jesus didn't want or need their testimony, he had better witnesses in mind. In the very next passage that we're going to see next week in chapter 5, Jesus is going to call his first disciples and they will be his witnesses. Jesus doesn't need or want witnesses who only know true things about him. He wants witnesses who truly know him. Witnesses who trust him and love him and serve him because he set them free from their bondage by being bound to a cross for them. And that he's healed them by being wounded for them. Those are the witnesses Jesus wants. And I think that's why down through the ages, Simon's mother-in-law has become a beautiful picture of the kind of witness that Jesus wants. Verse 39, I'll read it again. He stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and immediately she rose. and began to serve them. Jesus wants witnesses whom he has set free and healed, who have risen and who will serve him and who will serve all that he gives them, all those he gives them. Is that you? Is that our church? Are we the witnesses he's looking for? So, friends, I, I wonder where, where in your life are things a mess right now?
1: Where in our world, <laughs> we know our
0: world's a mess, don't we? Where in your world are you experiencing the effects of all that sin and sa- Satan have brought into the world, have brought into our relationships with one another, have brought into your vocation, to your house? Where are you, where are you in that basement? I urge you, listen to Jesus. Turn again to his authoritative words. Come, come sit with us and study his word on Sunday mornings. Get in a fellowship group. Do, pick it up. Listen. Listen to Jesus. He knows the world's condition, he knows your condition, and he knows what to do about it. And he'll remind you what he's already come to do about it and what he's going to come to do about it finally and fully when he brings his good and gracious authority to make all things new. We can trust him now when Satan keeps harassing us and when suffering keeps hurting us. We can trust this one who rebukes Satan and suffering. We can trust him because he's already nailed our sin to the cross to disarm Satan and destroy his work forever. And we have his promise that we will know his full and finally, final healing in the new heavens and the new earth. In the meantime, he has healed us, he has raised us, and he's put us into service for his glory and the good of our neighbors who in their distress need to hear the word of good news that there's a king who's conquered sin and Satan and suffering and death. For all those, for all those, who will trust his good and gracious authority. Father, would you make us, um, those whom you have healed and risen, would you make us your servants? Because there are others who are still in the basement and need the windows open. Would you make us that kind of church?